electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the rebound as stocks knock on the door of new highs. A remarkable turn of events after that big sell-off. The question now, where do we go from here? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Nigerian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Take it to the wall. Let me show you the markets right now. Told you we're knocking on the door of new highs on the S&P. That's hard to believe given where we were just a week ago. Take a look at the Dow, though, down 68 today. NASDAQ's about a third of a percent winner. I always give you the rate check. Ten-year note yield 152. So we're creeping higher there. All right, Shannon, you first. By the way, it's good to see you. Been a while since I've uh, hosted the show since you've been back. So it's nice to see you back. Uh, all right. We went down a lot. We went up a lot. Now what? <laughs> well, it's pretty clear that it was really COVID and not, and not Powell that we were all concerned about last week. Um, I think we're starting to enter that period, Scott, where we would have expected to be maybe three or four weeks ago in, in you know, a, a seasonable, seasonal um, sweep through the end of the year. I, I'm a little bit more concerned, frankly, of coming into next year and how we could potentially see some reallocation as it relates to potentially higher rates. I do think that there, it's pretty clear that the Fed is going to taper a bit faster and, and certainly could raise rates sooner than previously expected, certainly sooner than maybe a few months ago. Um, but I think in this near-term period, I think it's a great opportunity to take a look at some of these high-flying growth stocks. We've talked a lot about them. Um, they talked a lot about them on Tech Check just prior to this show. And to think about, you know, are these sustainable businesses that you want to be adding to here or is it just going back to the well in terms of high quality growth names and some of these cyclicals that you feel more comfortable with? I would caution that I think the enthusiasm for a sustained consumer spending rebound and how that might affect stocks like travel stocks in this short term period, I would temper those expectations because I do think we're going to continue to get these blips as it relates to the pandemic. Uh, but I think that in this short term period, great time to take a look at how you want to be positioned for that first quarter. We could see some volatility and choppiness. And I actually think some of these high quality growth names could help insulate your portfolio. All right. So, Joe, um, all but two S&P 500 sectors closed back above their 50 day moving average yesterday in the big rally. All 11 S&P sectors closed above their 200-day moving average. So there was a lot of technical damage. There was a lot of technical repair. Tom Lee says base case right now is a nice rally into year end. And, and who am I to argue with Tom Lee? I mean, it's not just Tom Lee. Tom Lee's technical guy was right on the money, said you're going to have a pullback and, and then the market's going to resume its rally into year end. Are they right? Are we poised now after all that we've been through in such a relatively short period of time? Worries about Powell? worries about the new variant. Are we now poised for a sizable rally into the end of the year? I don't want to use the word sizable, but I do think the momentum has shifted certainly back in the direction of what Tom is specifically talking about. You've had 
a very clear two-day technical uh, reversal back higher, Scott. I think what that means for the viewers is, is you're sitting tight, you're holding serve, you're staying invested. I watched a show yesterday. I'll credit Josh Brown. I thought his point on corporate buybacks was excellent. You're actually seeing a very strong surge in that. We now have that at all-time highs. Consumer spending remains incredibly strong. So the positioning, I think, as you look forward here is you want to stay invested. If there's particular stocks that maybe are going to decline to the levels where you think the fundamentals warrant stepping in and buying it, one of those names would be CrowdStrike for me. You know a couple of months ago I got out of that. I'm looking at CrowdStrike with it down here at 200 and have not pulled the trigger just yet. But I still think you're looking for opportunities, not the exit. Oh, wow. Okay. So since you went there, let, let's, let's stay there because uh, we've been thinking a lot, talking a yep. lot about those kinds of stocks. Not, not necessarily just CrowdStrike, but a lot of the names in the Kathy Wood universe, a lot of high valuation, high growth tech stocks, some, including most on the screen today, have suggested stay away, that you need to let those stocks come down more. I'm surprised to see you now saying, Josh, that, I mean, uh, Joe, I'm thinking of Josh because Josh has been a CrowdStrike guy for, for a long time. Then maybe now they've come down enough sure. to get in. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is that the innovation that these companies are providing is not going away. Yes, there's a valuation reset as we normalize monetary policy and you question when the revenue generation ultimately is going to come. But markets have a tendency when it resets and reprices valuation to take it to extremes. So when it's doing that, there are select companies in that environment I want to buy. Do I want to ultimately buy a Peloton? No, I think uh, that's a stock that will continue to have challenges. Whether a Zoom video has the ability to come back, I'm not necessarily sure about that. But there are other companies, and I mentioned CrowdStrike crowd. as being me, one of them. Let me see an intraday in crowd, Kathy please. Go ahead. Keep going. My bad. I want to see, I want to see the chart. Go ahead. Got the chart up? You can talk, right, though. So the chart will come let, up. Let's do this. Let, yeah, let, let's do this, Scott. What I will tell you is that I'll buy CrowdStrike on the close today. I'm comfortable wow, okay. that the valuation reset has, has occurred, and it has uh, met the moment here where fundamentals will once again matter for this company as it continues to provide the type of security that's so uh, incredibly important right now in this economy. So on the close today, yes, I will buy CrowdStrike okay. here uh, and get back into that position. I love that. See, I don't even have to, I don't even have to poke you that hard. And it goes from I'm looking at it to I'm buying it in a matter of 30 seconds. All I have to do is ask for the chart. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, also sit, I'm also sitting in, in Florida where I don't have the, the technical advantage I do sitting uh, with the three numbers in the whiteboard behind me uh, back on Long Island. But, but still, the fundamentals are at a moment where I think it's okay to step in and assume the risk and buying CrowdStrike here. Oh, okay, um, that's an interesting thought. Um, Weiss, how, how about that? Is CrowdStrike among others that need to be bought right now? Well, first of all, I'm sure you forgot to say it, but I know you're glad to see me as well. Look, you know, I do think that I do think the decline last week was definitively caused in part by Powell. So I'll disagree with Shannon there. And, and it was very clear. And the re when he doubled down on Tuesday. So the reason I say that is, no, I don't think the all clear is here for CrowdStrike 
or for the others. And the reason I say that is because you're going to get Powell talking again next week and you'll get inflation numbers in the interim. And that's what's going to hurt these stocks. So yes, the innovation is decidedly there. Yes, they're good companies. Yes, they're doing important work. But break the the analysis away from the companies to the stocks. And I would just not not go there. Hold on. In fairness, I haven't been there. So you're telling me you're telling me that if rates go, I mean, because rates have moved, I don't know, 20 some odd basis points in the last handful of days as these stocks, by the Mm -hmm. way, have recovered and continued to recover. So you can't suggest necessarily that just as rates move up, those stocks necessarily automatically move down because it hasn't happened in the last few days. But are you saying now if rates continue to go up from here that none of those stocks can work? It's just a simple cause and effect up rates down these names? I'm saying depending depending upon the dialogue, the narrative that Powell gives when he has the press conference and the headlines that come out of the FOMC, you'll get another opportunity, a better opportunity to buy these stocks. I'm not saying they can't go up again. Rates have moved. They're still down far below where they were, you know, not that long ago when we were pushing a one eight yield. And that's why I remain short, by the way, bonds. So, yes, I'm saying that you'll get another opportunity. Doc, you, you agree with that? Whose side are you on? Joe's or, or Steve's? Well, um, you know, we always get another opportunity. So uh, I, I'm not trying to carve you up here, Steve. But, uh, yeah, we always get another opportunity uh, because tomorrow's always another day. Um, I, I liked a lot of Shannon's optimism at the top of the show here. Um, and I think she was exactly right, Scott, when she said it was about Omicron, not about Powell, because obviously um, Powell is exactly where he was when he made those statements. And uh, that's not driving the market. And it was instead, about both. It's I, as the market. It was about both. I think we can be fair. It was about both. It was. It was about both. But why have we come back? We've come back so strongly, Scott, I believe because Omicron has proved to be not as virulent Which, uh, in terms of putting people in the... Ho- right, ahead. right. But it's one tied with the other, right? You're, you're 100% right. But the fact that we're feeling better about the, the new variant mm-hmm. means that we're more comfortable with the Fed doing its thing, right? Because we're not so scared about... The, the whole problem was Powell saying... Oh, you know, yeah, we got this variant out there. Everybody's scared about it, but we're still going to taper faster than you think. And oh, by the way, we may hike, hike rates faster than you think. Now that there's better virus news, you, we're comfortable now. Well, you, it's you're right, Scott. And because anyway. the perception. That was to Dr. J. Dr. J, go but, first. Oh, yeah. Easy there, Weiss. No, I was just work I was with me here, Weiss. Throwing that back to you. <laughs> I was throwing working. that back to you, Scott, and to Stephen. Um, about that tiptoe taper, because it is still tiptoeing. It's not going to be a a slam. And then, you know, people get even more scared. He and the rest of the Fed are going to move with baby steps, I believe here, Scott. So the acceleration, yeah, there'll be an acceleration. But is it from a pedometer reading of uh, three miles an hour down to up to 3.2 miles an hour? Yeah. It's that kind of acceleration, if you want to call it that. I don't think that people are afraid of what the Fed's about to do here. And that's reflected by, what, a 152, 153 
tenure right now, Scott, versus 177 March 30th? Sure. Well, Weiss, exactly. the, whole, the whole point is that, exactly. you know, when Powell was on the Hill, the market's reaction was kind of like, yo, easy there, fella. We don't even know how bad this variant's going to be. And you're talking about not only getting rid of the word transitory, but then you're talking about tapering faster than we expected before we even find out if this variant is as bad as we fear. Now we have, even if it's incrementally better, news on that. We think, okay, we can get beyond this. The economy can continue to reopen and resume its, its activity. Corporate spending is going to continue to ramp up as it already is. So we can handle the Fed's move. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah, and, and so let me let me come behind you before the urge to agree with you passes, as it usually does. Look, the thought was that Omicron <laughs> is going to it is going to hit the economy, and the economy will slow. And the FOMC is dead set on not only increasing the taper, pulling forward the price the rate hikes. So that's exactly what happened. As Omicron passed, you're exactly right again. You know, the economy can handle that, but we'll see. Because right now you've got good news. The, the bad news in terms of Powell hiking is past. We'll see what happens when that occurs. I do not look for a major decline, but where you make your return is dependent upon where you get in. And that's why I say I think you can wait and tomorrow will be another day, as it always is, John. All right. So you're right. You, you got this, the, the downdraft, yeah. and then you got this massive rebound. And the question is, okay, what do you got now? to take you into the end of the year and beyond with any sort of meaningful, maybe I shouldn't have used the word sizable earlier with Joe, maybe meaningful is a maybe better way of suggesting that I'm not looking for something, you know, to blow you out of the water in terms of a huge rally into year end. But Mike Santoli's with us, our senior markets commentator. Uh, is seasonality enough? How do we look at things now, Mike? Granted, uh, given where we were and now where we are. I would say seasonality, Scott, is uh, a help. Uh, we've, we've shown the last several weeks, though, that it's not magic, it's not automatic. Uh, but I think that one thing that does uh, put the market on decent footing pr- relative to when we first reached these levels on the S&P, not only the day before Thanksgiving, but also November 5th. I mean, we've really been kind of going sideways since that point. 4,700 has been a little bit of a ceiling over that period. One thing that's changed is positioning and sentiment. We got a really good scare. We got a really good kind of liquidation type event in a lot of strategies, a lot of funds. Uh, Volatility had an outsized move, which in itself catalyzed a lot more of a purge than you might otherwise expect on a, you know, 5% high to low pullback in the S&P 500. All else being equal, that's probably a net benefit uh, to the market is you have a test, you pass the test, and people are a little bit less aggressively positioned than they were beforehand. Who knows after the last two days whether we've rebuilt a lot of that exposure, probably have. Uh, The other thing is certain leadership areas have asserted themselves over this period of time. So point to point over the past two weeks as the S&P has been basically flat, you have things like home builders and semiconductors, they've outperformed again. That's a consistent message from those two groups. And it's going against things like, as you've talked about, the cloud software uh, stocks. Also, biotech really seems uh, to have been discarded here in a big way. And I think it creates an interesting dynamic into year-end where... If you're the type that say, hey, own the winners, they've told you what actually is working here. They've told you the cyclical message is good, semis and and builders and things like that. 
then you have that opportunity. But also, if you want to be a, a bottom fisher and say just mean reversion itself is going to get some of these beat up stocks uh, helping me into year end, there's a lot of wreckage uh, to be f- sifted through on that front as well. So those to me uh, are, are where things uh, set up as we go into the, pa- the last three weeks of the year. I just, I just wonder as we turn the calendar as well where we're going to be from a psychology standpoint on what the Fed may, may do and how ready we are to handle it. You know, we had Marco Kalanovic, Mike, on our show yesterday, the J.P. Morgan strategist who's so highly respected, and he's out with his outlook today uh, for next year. He says our view is that 22 is going to be the year of the full global recovery and the end of the pandemic and a return to normal economic and market conditions we had prior, we had prior to the COVID-19 outbreak. Listen to what he said about what all that means for how we can deal with the Fed, and then I want your take on it. Next year, especially for, uh, first half of next year, could be the year of strong recovery. You know, and if you do have a recovery, um, you know, Fed hike could be absorbed, especially by cyclicals. You know, again, not so much maybe by very high hyper growth, speculative growth stocks, but bulk of the market is 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 not um, um, uh, trading at that type of crazy multiples. You may still, Mike, need a, a multiple reset of of some respect, just because we're we're tightening. But the point being, it's the old thing. They're, they're tightening for the right reason, because we've had this great recovery and the economy strong enough to handle it. Absolutely. Look, historically, the market actually has done quite well in the six months leading up to the first rate hike in a cycle. Nobody really thinks we're mu- any much closer than six months right now uh, to the first rate hike, even if you're aggressive and say May is when they're going to start. Uh, so that just had, has history on your side. And yes, this is a Fed that is not, unless it is forced, by runaway inflation, and inflation does not moderating, this is not a Fed that's going to try to be proactive in restraining the economy in the absence of other uh, evidence to do so. So, yeah, I think it all makes sense. You always, though, have these kind of scares and, and false alarms along the way whenever you're in that mode when the Fed is transitioning from easy to tighter. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to have that. That's why all the Wall Street consensus, including Marco, is co- coalescing around probably an up year but really don't get too aggressive on your S&P targets. They're never aggressive on the S&P targets, yeah. right? It's always 8 to 12%. You almost never get a, a calendar year, by the way, that gives you that exact amount. I got Wolf Research on, on that note today talking about 13% between now and the end of, of 22. And some of the targets have, you know, moved higher. 5,200 today uh, comes from Credit Suisse's uh, Jonathan Golub. So every, everybody's out trying to game what, what's going to happen next year. Mike, I appreciate it very much. I'll see you. Um, I'll see you later on the closing bell. I look, sure I look forward well, yeah. to that. Uh, all right, Steve Weiss. So if I look at what you're doing today, you've added to some names that you like a lot because you've talked about them a lot. Corvo and Skyworks. And then you started a new position in AMAT, Applied Materials. Ta- tell us why. Tell us why the new position first. And then, you know, if you want to add something quick about why you added to the other ones. Right, right. So, so on AMAT. Uh, look, <laughs> semi-equipment is, is just a big, important space, and it, I don't think it'll have a normal sell- cyclicality that it's had. So I started a position, then uh, City came out and made it a top pick for next year, so I pulled back. I didn't want to buy it in that big spike, uh, but I'll go back. So it's as simple as that. The semi-space is a great space, and it's gotten beaten up. So I wouldn't say this is beaten up, it's trading near its high, but I think it can go a lot higher as, once again, the cyclicality is removed from the thesis. 
You know, I, I want to talk about banks as well, because if you're in this new environment where rates are going to be going up, and I, I know, Weiss, you have ownership in, in several of the big banks, as do the rest of the panelists as well, um, Shannon as well. So Bank of America is on my list today because J.P. Morgan has called it their top large cap bank pick in 2022. And obviously rates play into that heavily. It's, they say it's one of the more rate sensitive names. So I have ownership on that from Weiss, Bank of America. And Joe, you own Bank of America as well, as do you, Dr. J. Dr. J, you go first. Well, um, I, I think, Scott, that uh, regardless of whether it's that tiptoe taper or um, anything else that causes the Fed to keep moving um, in a direction so that the market feels, whether it's the bond traders or the Fed itself pushing rates up, that's going to be good for these stocks. I mean, Bank America, I think, extremely well positioned. I think Morgan Stanley's well positioned um, because of the uh, margin lending and so forth, the money they make on that, Scott. So, yeah, Bank America, like it, Key Bank. Uh, I have a host of these. The only ones I've really, I think, exited are um, Capital One, and that was just because of, uh, you know, some market performance and I wanted to ease some of my uh, exposure to the sector. Yeah, Weiss, Bank of America, a name you've liked for a long time. I know you own Goldman Sachs, uh, but, you know, Brian Moynihan, he's like Joe Cool. I mean, the guy just does his job, and he flies under the radar, I almost feel like, the way that other people talk about some of the other CEOs at the other banks. Uh, but he's cool as a cucumber in the way he operates his firm, and the stock has... has performed. Yeah, so so Brian is, I think, and I've said this before, when you take a look at where B of A has come from, he's he's one of the most underrated CEOs in all of the S&P, and he and I share that trait of being understated and outperforming. So that's that kinship also there that I like him. But look, the yield curve is steep, Neil, continue to steepen. I did add to B of A. I did add to Goldman when they ticked down when you had rates, the 10-year get with a 1.3 handle. And I also recently increased my short in bonds, specifically the TLT, and I bought a little more of the TBT, which is the ultra. That will be a trade. But the TLT, I'm going to stay in there for a little while because I do think that rates continue to climb. Shannon, J.P. Morgan is you, along with Bank of New York. Yeah, I mean, for us, J.P. Morgan's been a long time holding, and really because we were focused on banks that were not reliant on interest rates increasing in order to derive earnings. And so we, you know, like the, the revenue aspects of J.P. Morgan, but, you know, being able to add to some of these banks, I think Bank of America clearly is going to benefit from an increasing rate cycle. And I think that there are going to be opportunities to diversify your financials basket. We have exchanges. We've got names like Schwab. Um, but adding to some of these banks in anticipation, I don't think this trade is completely done. Um, and so I can see where if you are, sh are you know, light on these traditional banks, there's certainly an opportunity to continue to see those earnings increase as we see some changes in the yield curve. Joe, I, I didn't have to show a chart of interactive brokers. I didn't have to push you. I didn't have to say anything to make you feel guilty about not owning something you were talking about. You bought it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you asked before, what's the sentiment of the market, right? The sentiment going into the year is anxiousness. I think that's very clear. And along with anxiousness, as John knows very well, comes volatility. 
Now, I think volatility is clearly increasing. Interactive brokers benefiting from interest rates rising, uh, also benefiting from the crypto platform. I know many people come on and they talk about exposure to Coinbase as a way to to invest in crypto without directly touching the crypto assets themselves. Well, our interactive brokers, you could get the benefit of the volatility in equities. You could get the benefit of the volatility in commodities and you could get the access and benefit of the volatility towards crypto. Very comfortable buying uh, interactive brokers here with the stock above 75. All right. And I've got no core moves from you, Doc. Uh, Normally you have a whole, you know, maybe two handfuls of things that you're doing, not necessarily just equity, but uh, obviously people know you from, from the option side. I noted yesterday, which I thought was so mm-hmm. interesting, and if I recall, the date was December 3rd, where you had initiated new positions in some stocks that yesterday you had since taken profits in. So, and you had, you had mm-hmm. uh, transferred the positions, if you will, into uh, spreads. I think I, think I, I got that right. Uh, what about today? Um, As far as today, Scott, there were a few that I was nibbling at, but I wouldn't say they were massive moves at all. Um, Roku, um, that's probably a trade for me. The stock's up 14% right now, or it was when we came on air, and I bought it just before we came on. So um, that's probably a flip for me, not really a long-term investment. I know uh, that Mr. All In, uh, Jim Labenthal, loves that name. Um, and he's been very accurate on it. That's one I was trading, Scott. I traded a couple. Joe will like this. I think Steve, too, that I was trading a couple of the airlines again for the first time in a long time, Delta and American. But again, for trades, literally day trades in those NCLH and CCL as well. But those were, again, trades. Most of those I've exited already today, Scott, some of them had, you know, nice moves, mm-hmm. whether you want to view that as reopening or things catching up. Uh, but uh, as far as holding anything right now, the only one of those names that I still hold right here is Roku uh, on the day. Yeah, the, these are undoubtedly reacting to that positive Pfizer news that we got today. Um, some of the names that we just showed up there, yep. the cruise lines and, and the other travel names. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. I'm going to tell you about a bullish call on the worst performing Dow component this year. We're going to debate if you should be adding it now to your portfolio. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Prosecutors say that the Minneapolis police officer charged in the death of Dante Wright violated her training and betrayed a 20-year-old kid. Opening statements are underway in the trial of Kim Potter. Potter fatally shot Wright during a traffic stop. She claims that she was trying to tase Wright, but mistakenly fired her handgun instead. And on the news tonight, a full wrap-up of the opening statements. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Meantime, in New York, a man is facing arson charges for allegedly setting fire to a 50-foot Christmas tree. This happened in front of Fox News headquarters. The 49-year-old suspect was arrested not long after the fire started. Police say that the fire does not appear to be premeditated or politically motivated. The tree is now being dismantled so that a new one can be put up. And Germany's new chancellor, Olaf Scholz, warning Russia that there will be consequences if Russia breaches Ukraine's borders. This just hours after being sworn in. President Biden also saying that Russia will face severe economic consequences if it invades the Ukraine. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, here's the chart. Disney is one of the best performing stocks in the Dow today. However, it is the worst performing Dow stock this year, down 16 percent. It's on pace for its worst year since 2016. However, today, J.P. Morgan names Disney its top pick for 2022. There it is. Year to date, it's a 16 percent loser. Lately, it hasn't done much. Kramer's been buying repeatedly. Shannon, you own Disney shares. Do you have, I don't know, do you have good thoughts about what lies ahead for DIS? Well, right now, Disney's having uh, what we would call an identity crisis <laughs> from a stock perspective. You know, if you owned Disney a few years ago, um, you owned it for the dividend, you owned it for the free cash flow. And then the DTC product came out and we talked at length at the time about how much they would benefit from this content catalog that wouldn't require additional spend the way that, you know, Netflix has has needed to spend over the last few years. So now you're trying to thread the needle from a management perspective, understanding that some of this DTC allure has worn off as we've kind of gone back to our regular day-to-day lives, and yet the park revenue really hasn't reaccelerated at the pace that I think you need to have in order to potentially eventually pay a dividend. And so for me, if you don't own the stock, I mean, this is a great long-term buy um, for, you know, I have it in my children's portfolios. Uh, There's a great brand here. There's a great execution, you know, from the management team. But right now, from an institutional standpoint, it's it's hard to place this stock in portfolios. Yeah, Dr. J, you own shares and calls, so it's in your portfolio, uh, to say the least. You suggest it's underappreciated. Mm-hmm. In what sense? Well, <laughs> it's underappreciated, Scott, because of that underperformance that you and Shannon just spoke of. Um, any of us that have bought this one this year um, are not happy with most of the purchases. I mean, uh, granted, a year-over-year price, uh, you're up a little off that year-over-year number, but year-to-date, like you say, down 16%, that's some pretty bad underperformance versus an S&P that's up in the mid-20s right now. Um, I-, I think overall, Scott, I'm comfortable holding it um, because I think it is underappreciated and undervalued. The parks haven't fully reopened yet. Theaters, people are not fully going back to theaters either. And the box office numbers, um, when you look at them, and Kanto or even Black Widow and things like that, um, you're not seeing the sort of numbers you would see if people were going into theaters. And yes, I do understand that yet uh, Disney and everybody else only gets a percentage 
of what's in the theater in the box office uh, rather than the 100 percent of the streaming revenue. Um, but that streaming revenue is not nearly the same for them. They need theaters reopen. They need the parks fully reopen. That's the underappreciation. The well, quicker they can get back to that, Scott, I, I think you just write calls against it at uh, 155. The stock's 153 right here. You just write the 155s against it. When it gets there, you write the 160s and so on and so forth. Rinse and repeat. The, the problem, Weiss, is that what some say Disney really needs, since John was going off you know, what they need to do, is they need to spend a, a heck of a lot more money on content and that they've been too reliant on the franchises. And who, who could fault them for you know, relying on some of the greatest franchises ever? However, if you're going to continue to grow your subs for Disney+, Plus, you're going to need to spend a lot more money and come up with a lot more content. And that might be an overhang on the stock. That's what some of the critics would suggest. How do you respond to that in light of the fact that you bought some Disney as well? Yeah, so actually the company addressed that and said they do intend to increase their their uh, what they allocate towards content, recognizing that that it's absolutely critical with all the other options out there. So, look, when Patty Martell, our Cracker Jack producer, uh, called me this morning, I took a look at, at Disney. I thought the chart looked great, so I bought it as a trade. I don't regard the stock as cheap. I mean, it's trading at about 46 times earnings now and at about 26 times EBITDA, 28 times EBITDA, which is expensive under any measure. However, assuming they can execute in that and that the parks do come back and they'll be opening a third gate in Anaheim, which will be helpful, then you should see the stock go, grow into that valuation actually come down. There's September fiscal year, so if you look towards September, uh, you know, September 2023, I think you can do well in the stock. So right now it's a trade. Uh, all that's known, and I'll decide whether I'm going to make it a core position. Man, I, th I thought you guys were all about fundamental analysis and research. Now it's like I got Joe buys crowd, and now Patty Martell, our senior producer, just places a phone call to you and you end up buying Disney. Apparently that's all it takes with you guys. It speaks right. to the power. It's, it's, it speaks to the power and knowledge Wait. of the behind the camera people at CNBC and as well as yourself, Scott. So <laughs> give yourself some credit. Appreciate that. We're going to save that, what you just said there, as quickly as you can turn, as all our viewers know. We'll have John's latest unusual activity coming up next right after this. Bank of America and mining giant Newmont announcing ESG-linked bonds this week. B of A raising $2 billion to advance equality and green investments. Newmont raising $1 billion and will pay a higher rate if it fails to meet emissions reduction targets and hire women in leadership roles. ESG bonds surpassed $1 trillion in 2021, according to Morgan Stanley. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? 
Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, my man, Dr. J, what do you got for me? All right, Scott, uh, one that I talk about all the time, and I know you love to hear it, it's Apple. Um, Another all-time high today, about a 2% rally here. Um, Apple just knocking the cover off the ball. It's one of the ways you could say it's not the only. Um, But, boy, uh, today, Scott, they traded 35,000 of the December 23rd 175 calls. That's as the stock rocked over 174 today. Huge move out of Apple. And obviously, um, I love that the movement is happening right here um, as we're very close to the uh, anniversary of their IPO in 1980. December 12th, by the way. New high. Yep. Another Another all-time high, 174. Yep. Uh, 174.80-something. Take a look at FXI as well. People betting that after the disastrous year that the Chinese stocks have had, they have a better year next year or at least a better start of the year. Um, They're buying with uh, the index at about 38.70. They were buying the FXI up to the February 42 calls. They also bought a significant amount a year further out, Scott. Lastly, we have GameStop coming our way tonight. A lot of the apes, that's what they call themselves. This is not me disparaging them, um, are, I think, getting somewhat... Uh, tired of the hold here. Their patience is wearing thin. If it's a great report, yes, I think GameStop can go to the upside. About 62% of what's traded is calls versus puts. But there's a lot of folks that just keep saying, today's the day, today's the day on Twitter, on Reddit. And if today's not the day that some announcement or something gets made, Scott, I think some of those people might decide to take what they've got and go home. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Uh, We'll see after the bell when GameStop reports. Doc, thank you. Coming up, a landmark hearing into the future of cryptocurrencies. CEOs testifying on the Hill, including the CEO of Coinbase. We'll have the very latest headlines discuss what's at stake for crypto investors like you next. It's a big day on Capitol Hill for crypto. The Committee on Financial Services holding a hearing on the digital asset industry, planning to dig into some of the challenges and benefits that come with the innovations. Kate Rooney covering it for us has more. Hi, Kate. Hey, Scott, this is the first dedicated hearing on Capitol Hill for cryptocurrencies. A big day for that industry. Six of the biggest executives in the crypto industry are testifying. And one of the key topics so far has been stable coins or cryptocurrencies pegged to the value of the U.S. dollar. There's questions over whether these pose a threat to dollar dominance. Executives argue that digital dollars are additive and they might even add some healthy competition. One of the benefits of the crypto economy is that it creates some counter incentives on the part of the Fed to do that kind of policy because people will flee to other kinds of assets. 
And that sort of market competition is something that I think will ultimately shore up our monetary policy and keep the dollar where it rightfully ought to be, which is as the dominant reserve currency it's been for all of our lives. Despite big tech not being in the room today, there have been at least 10 mentions of Facebook's and uh, Meta's digital wallet. Crypto executives are also looking to get the point across that the industry is not the Wild West, as it's been called, and that it's about a lot more than just Bitcoin. There's been talk of blockchain as the next wave of the Internet, known as Web3. Also, a lot of talk about global competition and potential for talent to flee overseas if Congress is too heavy-handed. There's also talk over regulatory clarity. And finally, House members are still focused on recent hacks and consumer protections. Scott. All right, Kate Rooney, thank you so much. All right, Dr. J, you're the man when it comes to crypto. How closely are you watching this today and thinking about the future of the space? I was listening to uh, each of those uh, luminaries as they testified or as they gave got their five minutes, Scott. I wasn't able to listen to the subsequent uh, questioning and back and forth because of the show. Um, but uh, they talked a lot about stable coins. Um, they talked a lot about the trends, uh, you know, when people make a, uh, a payment and how they can push money across borders or push crypto across borders without the same sort of um, speed bumps and all the rest that you get from credit cards and or bank wires and so forth. So um, I, I think it's a very informed uh, group of uh, folks that have been immersed in crypto for quite a while. And I think that HUT, um, Mara, um, MicroStrategy, these aren't the names that were there necessarily, Scott, but those are many of the one names that are in my portfolio right now. Um, and I look for a lot more upside. Jill mentioned Coinbase. Um, uh, that was, uh, I thought, some very uh, great uh, conversation from her, the woman at Coinbase, and she wound up the speaking before the uh, questioning began. Yeah, Weiss, um, so you own Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I'm curious as to how you view the recent volatility that's plagued the space. I also own Bitcoin outright. Uh, I don't view it favorably because it's cost me some money. Look, this is going to be a volatile asset class. It's purely a speculative asset class without any real utility. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. Uh, it's not going to be a currency. So I'm there. They're not big positions. But I do think that momentum will pick up in terms of more attention to it. And uh, so I just want to be there. I want to be involved. Okay. All right, up next, the committee ready to answer your questions and ask halftime. And do not miss Jim Cramer's special event for the CNBC Investing Club. That is tomorrow. Jim is going to share his outlook for 22. He's going to answer members' questions. You want to ask a question, sign up. Go to cnbc.com slash investing club. There's the QR code. Scan it now. We're back right after this. All right, the committee answering your questions. John in Illinois writing, I'm looking to add health care to my portfolio. Would you recommend Biogen or Zimmer? All right, Shannon, you're up first. You own Stryker. I, so, John, the answer to your question is I would recommend devices, um, but rather than Zimmer, I would recommend Stryker. Um, they're able to continue to grow their share and scale in this market. They've outperformed both Zimmer 
and Smith and, ne and Nephew um, for 2021, and I expect that to continue. Zimmer could get a little bit more ambitious on pricing, um, but I th still think Stryker and the medical device space in general is a good pick here. I mean, you own United Health too. Not that it's in the device space, obviously, but it's at an all-time high today, and it's up huge this year. Both reopening trades, Scott. Healthcare is reopening is really not been talked a lot about on this show, but both are reopening trades and could continue as procedure volumes increase. All right, Joe. Well, Scott, we own AbbVie and Thermo Fisher in Joe T. It's playing to the theme Biogen um, and Zimmer. You're, you're really catching a falling knife and you're not buying a quality balance sheet. I would suggest that you want to ultimately buy these stocks when they give you multiple quarters where the revenue and earnings begins to reverse itself, and it hasn't. It doesn't mean that I don't like uh, healthcare equipment makers, I don't like the pharmaceuticals, I don't like uh, the biotech in large cap, but I think there's better places to go and I wanna identify where the confidence is. You know I like to do that, buy high, sell higher. AbbVie and Thermo Fisher are the two places you could find that opportunity. I read that somewhere that you like to do that. I can't remember where that was. Dr. J, do you like the space? <laughs> yeah, I do, Scott. Um, I am very underexposed to the space right now. So I'm hoping that some folks um, may make some of these entries for me a little cheaper before year end, Scott. But if not, I think I will be accumulating some of these. Um, Merck's one that I've owned and it made a nice pop and I took profits. Um, but I'm looking at Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, uh, uh, also Biogen IDAC is also one I always keep my eye on Scott Weiss you like anything in this space you know it may surprise you but I like Moderna and mm. they're going to be coming out with flu data <laughs> soon and I, I think we could I think we can see at this point that you're going to need a booster shot uh, for COVID going forward and their quadrivariant shots going to be phenomenal but that's the only one so you like as soon as the pandemic ends I mean, it's, yeah, it's well, like a broken you know, record. John it's like a broken record. You got anything else? It, it is. It is. But it's a broken record, but that tune is still so sweet, Scott. Yes, I'm looking at Biogen. Look, the stock's gotten beaten up with all the controversy around the Alzheimer drug, and I think it obfuscates what's actually going on with the company. It's quality management. They brought in a new CFO about a year ago who is phenomenal, tremendous experience creating shareholder value. So I'm doing work on Biogen. All right, good stuff, Weiss. Thank you very much for that. Final trades after this break. All right, let's do some final trades. Joe, you first. Double A, PL, $174.87 was a new high today, and it is your final trade, and I want you to tell me why. With, without question, first of all, this is, this is fascinating. Prashant Patel, our executive producer, just pointed this out to me. It took two years for Apple's market cap to go from a trillion to two trillion, from August of 2018 to August 2020. Guess what? It went from two trillion, the next trillion dollars, in one year. So it's moving even faster. Scott, it, it hits 183. It's at $3 trillion. It eclipses the size of the economy for the UK, France, and India. There's only four economies in the world that's bigger than it. Okay. Innovation above all else. Okay. Prashant, thanks you very much, by the way. Shannon, go ahead. Uh, AMT American Towers should benefit <laughs> from the 5G upgrade as well as uh, continued spectrum. Dr. J. Uh, Vodafone, VOD, big volatility expansion, bought calls, Scott. And Steve Weiss. By IPOing Porsche, 
The family that owns it can increase their net worth by over $50 billion. Seems like an easy decision. I'll say. All right, guys, thank you. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.